As we come to the Word of God, think about uh, Pastor Dan also being in Zambia. Just pray for him and pray for us here. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that even as we pray, there will be a special endowment of power as this ministry in Zambia is going forth. I ask that you would use Pastor Dan in a mighty way, that his gifts and abilities that you have given will be used for the furtherance of the kingdom and will multiply astronomically in that place. We ask that during the time that he is there, there will be special grace for these meetings and these relationships so that future ministry and future opportunities will flow like a river. We want to see blessing from this. And so, Lord, use it. I pray that you would bless. In this time, we ask the same, that as we gather, we need you desperately. We pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit to attend to your holy word. I pray that you would give us a sobriety about the holy things of God and also faith in the wonderful Savior. And so I ask these in his precious name, that name above all, Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today is uh, Peculiar Practitioners. Uh, this just reflects a verse out of 1 Peter 2.9, which refers to Christians as peculiar people. And what we're going to see here in the teaching of Christ is a very peculiar teaching for us to be peculiar people. Um, more recent translations will use people who are according to God's possession or distinct, set apart. Uh, the emphasis there on peculiar I always thought was interesting as a child because we used to sing this verse as a, as a song. And when we got to that peculiar people, I didn't understand that at all. I always thought, why would God call us to be weird? Um, uh, very much so as we encounter this text, what we will realize is that following the teaching of Jesus in comparison to the way this world goes would actually be considered weird, strange. Uh, but it's a peculiar with a wonderful smell of heaven about it. And so as we encounter the master opening up to teach us this morning, out of Luke chapter 6, we're going to see that we are going to see the peculiar teacher teaching us what it means to be peculiar in this world. And then also the emphasis on being practitioners is just this. This text is very much on how then shall we live. The whole section has to do with very practical theology. The way in which we live in this world as people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we seek to be practitioners that honor the Lord, this is his teaching, this is his word. And so, as we come to Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verse 27 through verse 36. As we do so, this is the word of God. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. It's a reading of the Word of God. May he bless this to us today. Notice how Jesus begins this section. You could almost read past it. I don't think when he's addressing those who hear, he's just simply saying those whose words happen to be falling now on their eardrum. He has previously in this sermon addressed those who are his in the blessings and curses that are just before this section in the text. In fact, they're identified as those who are reviled for the sake of his name. So he's speaking to those who hear in a deeper way than just auditory. It's those who have the ability to hear him. Many times Jesus speaks this way to those who have ears to hear. Let them hear. And what he's doing now would be saying something of the same as he begins to expound here. Ethics that just are very unusual in the world. In fact, they're anti the direction of the world. They're contrary to the world. Uh, my father used to speak of one of his professors, Dr. Joseph Kikasola. And he would talk about the way that he taught. He always admired him greatly. And I remember him saying to me that on occasion he would go very deep on a topic that he was lecturing about. And he would say, now, this is for those of you who have ears to hear. And then he would throw a nugget out there. And evidently it was hard. And, and my dad just loved that challenge to try to see, first of all, can I even understand what he's saying? And then, and then can I tuck that nugget away and remember it? Uh, Jesus here is saying to those who hear, uh, those who previously I've just addressed and everything that I've just said, now I'm bringing you the ethics of my kingdom. I want my people to understand I as the king am giving these directives to those who can hear. 
So as we look at this section, we realize that these people that have just been addressed in the prior material would not necessarily be even the majority that was in the audience. Those who can hear are always those who have been given ears to hear by the Lord. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Thus, this ethical standard is going to be something that's only possible if you have a relationship with the king who changes you so that your heart accords with such challenges because these challenges, uh, they strike right to the core. In fact, if you don't get convicted here, it's, it's my fault because the text certainly does. Uh, when, I, when I received from your pastor, Dan, what I was to preach here, I just pulled my Bible out quickly and thought, well, I'm just going to see where they're at in sequence. And I thought, my goodness, I'm convicted from the start. Uh, if you don't get convicted by Jesus here, you need to look twice at this text because it's very challenging to us to say Jesus really challenges us. So let's begin with the directives here, and I'm just going to put it under this heading, that are easier to grasp than they are to live. I'm going to argue, first of all, that they're not that hard to understand. There are some things here that you'll have to grapple with, and we would. But you can consider them, I'm going to do it positively or negatively. You can look at them either way. Jesus says, love the unlovely. Jesus says, be one who is a peacemaker. Jesus says, be abundantly generous. Jesus says, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Those are all positive. Uh, same things could be said in the negative here. Just as the commandments are, thou shalt not often. You just look at them, we just look around and say they have a positive as the same way. Love the unlovely. Don't hate enemies who hate. Those who curse, those abuse. Don't hate them in the same way. Positively, be a peacemaker. Avoid personal vengeance. Positively, be abundantly generous. Negatively, don't be miserly or obsessed with profiting. Positively, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Negatively, don't be self-absorbed. All of these principles are right here in the introductory teaching of Jesus. And there are numerous questions that could arise if you look at each one. Uh, of course, we're to compare Scripture with Scripture. And if I spent all day doing this, I would do what my Old Testament prof used to say. He would say, if I say everything about everything, I'll never say anything about anything else. And what he meant by that was, I just can't take every question that takes me down every rabbit hole because I have to stay somewhere main on topic. But every one of these challenges by Jesus, you could say, well, what about this special circumstance? And then that, that deserves time. It's worthy of considering those things. Uh, we should ask, what does the whole of the Bible say about these topics? Would there be occasions in which turning the other cheek would not be something that you would advise to somebody. I could certainly see that being the case. You wouldn't go to a woman's battered shelter and put that on the wall. That would actually be wrong counsel. Uh, in the same way, if a person has priorities or responsibilities in which the idea of being able to give to each one who asks would actually cause 
a conflict with the call of God that they had in other responsibilities, you would actually have to say there are priorities in the things that you would do that you can and cannot do. But here's my argument in general. The general thrust of this text is perfectly clear. It's not hard to understand. In fact, we may find ourselves squirming because it is so easy to understand. It's not the understanding that's the hard. It's the practice that's hard. It's the doing that's hard. The general thrust is clear. The being peculiar people is contrary because it's contrary to the very air that we breathe. You see, we've never breathed the air in which these principles and these kingdoms are the norm because we've been in a fallen world since we've been born. And Jesus, who is not at all affected by the fallenness of our world, steps into this world and brings us the air of the kingdom of God. And it's no wonder that it smells and feels alien to us. He's the Son of God sent from heaven. And his principles and priorities are going to be utterly contrary to us in a world that's filled with sin. Those of us who hear even in the way that Jesus is mentioned here, struggle with the remnants or the areas of sin in which we still have hard, hard difficulty overcoming. And in those areas, we, we find ourselves perhaps sometimes weekly, daily, hourly struggling over areas where we just say to ourselves, Lord, I yearn for, for ultimate release from the whole, and these challenges get right in there and say, living like Jesus would have us to do is extremely challenging. Jesus has come to us to show us the way of God. I think another thing from the context that's beautiful here is the prior text just before Jesus begins to preach. Jesus, God the Son, in our flesh, among us, heals the man with a withered hand. And then the verses just prior to this context say that all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and healed them all. And the reason there was a multitude there to preach to is there was a multitude being healed by Jesus. Jesus, who himself is realistically a miracle among us. There's none other like him. We'd never seen anything like that before. God had never become man and lived among us. So it's no real surprise that he who is the epitome of miracle is doing profound, miraculous deeds everywhere that he goes to the degree that the crowds are just coming to him. We hear often in the scriptures, the multitudes came to him and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is the context in which Jesus then begins to expound his teaching. And just as his healing is otherworldly, when he opens his mouth to preach, it's just as otherworldly. It's alien to us. And in fact, as we read it, we say, what? form of teaching is this 
If we don't do this one thing throughout the whole of this sermon, we're going to miss it. So I'm just going to say it up front. You should just marvel at Jesus Christ here. My dad did more teaching on person of Christ than any other topic he ever preached on. I used to wonder myself, why in the world are we having another Wednesday evening when he's up there on the board talking about person of Christ? And he told me over and over, person of Christ affects everything. If you miss who he is, you'll miss everything about what he did. You'll certainly never grasp the marvel of the humility of the cross. Person of Christ affects everything. Who's teaching? This is the person of Christ. And thus the words that are flowing from him, yes, they seem strange to our ears. They should. See, he's strange to us in this sense. He's come from heaven. He's bringing the ethics of heaven to us. Uh, if I could speak this way, he's bringing something that smells Edenic to us. And we've been out of the garden for a long time. It's no wonder that we feel like we're in a foreign land when we encounter the master opening his holy mouth and telling us how life should be. For we live in a world where life is not as it should be. You see, it's not that Jesus is wrong, it's that we are. And his words just highlight that at every phrase. I don't know about you, I haven't been more convicted studying a text in a long time. I hope Dan invites me back to like do a parable. Luke 15 <laughs> would be nice. But, but here's what, what that does. If you get convicted, you should realize that that's probably because you're coming near the real Jesus. That should be confirming rather than something that you say, oh, no, I want to draw back from that. Instead, you should lean hard into it to say this. Teach me how alien that you are so that that holiness may draw me rather than cause me to wince away. I want to come into it. I want to press into you. I want to know you as you truly are. And this text certainly reveals who he is. Listen to the oddity. Love enemies. Do good to those who hate. Bless. Those who curse, pray for those who abuse you. These descriptive elements are hard, but again, I would argue they're not hard because we can't understand them. They're hard because they're hard to live. As we identify with the man of sorrows in this world, we too will realize that living for him is going to be hard. And in fact, carrying out some of these commandments would cause us some deep consternation because there's things here that God calls that are hard for us to carry out, but Jesus says we'll be blessed if we do them. It's very natural to clench the fist and set the posture for battle. I work in a prison I know what that looks like. So as soon as the incident starts and things light up, there's a 
turning from where you're posturing this way to you turn. And when that, when that turn happens, you can tell it's on. Uh, it's just, it's the mere posturing. Uh, what I'm saying through that is just simply this. It's so natural to turn when you're struck out against or someone comes to abuse you in some manner to posture. Uh, so just, just think of it, the mere clenching of the fist. What does that show? In other words, viscerally, I'm feeling the desire at that point in time to respond in kind. And Jesus, not, not suggestions, directives here say, don't, don't do that. Don't respond in kind to those who would treat you in these manners. Don't do as you see this. To those who lend, uh, don't see them as an opportunity to, to make your bank balance larger. Boy, is that contrary. Lend expecting nothing in return. I mean, that's my investments the last couple of years. <laughs> but, but my attitude about it isn't very good. I bet yours isn't either. See, some of you who are expecting to retire on monies that now go down, I bet you don't look at that balance and say, well, that's good. I'm getting nothing in return. You see, notice the amount of grumbling we've done about that. Imagine if we carried out Jesus' call here to give in such a way that the expectancies for coming back, listen, not only that'll make me, not, not, not even this, that make me feel better about the whole thing. Give expecting nothing in return. See, we could do sometimes benevolent activities because of how they make us feel. Thus, self is driving that machine. Boy, isn't that challenging? Give, don't even expect a pat on the back. Jesus' ethics are so challenging. They challenge us to the core of motivations and the why and the how we do what we do. Generally, these are easy to understand, but my goodness, the living is hard. This is one thing I want us to realize as we go on in the text is this. This should drive you right into Jesus Christ. The only way that you can carry out kingdom living is by the salvation and power that comes from the king. And you've got to get close to his heart to live in a way that accords with his heart. He needs to fill you with his spirit. I love the text in the New Testament called the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. Because you know what we need? We definitely need the spirit of Jesus. We need the empowering that comes from Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like Jesus wants us to live because this is unnatural. The natural way is the way that we live every day in sin. Jesus is calling us to supernatural living. Notice secondly in verses 32 through 35 how much kingdom life is dramatically above what is natural. Notice how many times here Jesus emphasizes what doesn't benefit you. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. See, what's Jesus saying? If you're just loving the people that are easy to love, 
There's nothing special about that at all. If you do good to those who are easy to do good to, who are there giving you in return as you do, nothing about it's special at all. What benefit is that to you? Even sinners do each one each time. Even sinners do the same. There's, there's nothing about this that would be distinct at all. Notice, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Beginning of verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Notice, how dramatically different it is from what is natural. In fact, it's far above it. I mentioned that I work in a prison. I've been very privileged recently to to move from being a contractor to now I'm the full-time chaplain at the prison. I'm so happy. Uh, So it's it's wonderful. God is blessing. Uh, I remember when I sat down with one of the inmates that I had gotten to know fairly well. And I just said to him, I want you to tell me how things really are. I want, I want us to have a very real conversation. I realize this. Look, I am as naive as can be. I still am. I haven't a clue how things really are. And I realize that around me, there could be opportunities even going by. I just don't even see them because I don't realize that they're there. So I said, tell me the real stuff. Tell me how it is. If you're going to summarize, what should I know? Tell me. So this, this is what, and he'd been in for a long time. He said, nothing is free. Everybody's working some kind of angle. Every action or interaction, it's all part of a bartering system. Everybody really wants something from you. You see... If you give a ramen because next week you get two in return, nothing special about that at all. It's just the way it is. And if you're a bud, if you give a ramen and your bud gives you a ramen next week, well, that's good. But there's nothing special about it at all. What's an irony is this. It's not just a prison. That's the attitude of the world. And as I heard him, I thought to myself, you're telling me what seems to be utterly unique to you, and I'm telling you is back. I see it everywhere. Doesn't sound like something so foreign. It's just you've got it everywhere. It's pervasive. And what he's meaning by working an angle is somebody doesn't say a kind word to you, but what they're trying to work some angle, uh, and, and constantly you can never relax in the setting. But folks... Human beings, because of sin, work other people all the time. You see, what's that big handshake about? Hi, hi brother. Good to see you. Nice to see you. What's your name again? And what we're doing the whole time is we're trying to make that contact for some benefit that's going to future some other thing rather than this. I actually care about you. I just want to get to know who you are. Uh, I have found one of the most effective things in prison ministry is simply this. Hi, how are you doing today? I don't want anything out of you. I just want to talk to you. I'd like to get to know about you. You wouldn't believe the impact 
that that makes. Now, shocking. Why is that so? They're not used to anybody talking to them just to get to know who they are. Leads into wonderful conversations. It's staggering how it's so. Uh, people often ask me, how do you do evangelism? I don't. I just talk to people. See, they're not used to anybody talking to them as a person. And the irony is, these are image bearers of the living God. And when you treat them with just basic decency, then the door opens wide to talk about Jesus Christ because they're already in. Uh, think about that. If that can be overcome by such a simple deed, what would the ethics of Jesus open up in terms of opportunity? See, I find evangelism extremely easy to do in the prison setting simply by this. Nobody gets treated decently. If I treat them decent, they're going to come. So the irony is this. Doing the things of Christ here are going to have an impact on others because they'll know this. There's something very supernatural about the way you live. The care that you're showing is not because you're trying to get something out of me. It's because you actually care for me. What a difference. You see, our world is absolutely built on the idea of saying this, can you work somebody for some personal gain? People do it in sales all the time. What Jesus is saying is utterly foreign here. See, notice, if you do good to those who do good to you, there's no benefit to you because sinners do the same. Let me give you an illustration, and this might help you understand how Jesus' ethics would stand out here in our modern world. I don't know why, but in thinking about this point, I pictured in my mind a peacock in full strut. If you've ever been around a male peacock before when he's in full strut, it is, um, well, it's glorious. Uh, peacock will position himself, his tail's behind him, and then he struts up and his chest comes up and his chest shimmers. Um, and, and then he spreads his whole of his tail. And, and as he does, he shakes. And if you've seen those peacock feathers, they've got these real little wispy hair-like feathers all the way up. And then the eye portion that's on is a heavier substance. And so as that peacock shakes, all those fingers wiggle and those eyes just sit stationary as this whole shimmering light. And he's standing there just making himself uh, glorious. The colors, the, the scenery, the, the beauty of it. Now, imagine if we were, you're in a tropical setting where there's 20 other beautiful birds of all types and flowers and scenery. Uh, perhaps you would look at that and say to yourself, I, I don't even notice the peacock very much anymore. It's just a part of the world. But change that. Imagine you're watching an old black and white. I don't want, not, 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 not one that's been redone. Old black and white movies like they were in the first place. Grainy, very ill-defined in its edges. 
And even the black and white is more like shades of gray and shades of somewhat white. And in the midst of watching that black and white scene, suddenly that 3D iridescent shimmering peacock steps out and just says this. Now, now you see him? That's what the kingdom of Christ looks like in this world. You see, we're the bland setting. We're a mess. We're askewed. Our world is that dull, you do for me what does for me, and I do for you what does for me. That's norm. When Jesus calls us to this other way of living, it's as alien as a peacock stepping into that black and white scene. Because then you say to yourself, that's unique. That's beautiful. That's glorious. You see, the backdrop makes the peacock show up all the more. We live in a dark and twisted age. And Jesus Christ needs to be put on full display. And often it's these very ways of living that show him to a world that's lost and dying and needs to see him. If it were not so, he wouldn't have said to do it. Calling us in these ways are actually good for us and benefit his long-term purpose which is to spread the kingdom of God throughout this world. Lastly, if you're not motivated enough just by the alien nature of Jesus, look what he says. These practices display Jesus and his merciful and rewarding Father in heaven. Merciful and rewarding Father in heaven. Staggering. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. You should almost gasp here. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as Your heavenly Father is merciful. Notice Jesus first doing this. He's showing us mercy by what? Rewarding us by doing the things that he calls us to do. What a Savior. (laughs) Only an extremely benevolent God would say, do these things at all. And by the way, the grace it takes for you to do them, I'm going to reward you for responding to the grace that I give you that makes you do them in the first place. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace, empowered to do good works by grace that he prepared in advance for us to do. Boy, what a package deal that is. You see, we've been brought in on something amazing here in the grace of God, and that's this. He not only wants to save us, 
dead in trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive even while we were dead in trespasses and sins. It's by grace you've been saved. See, that grace not only saves, but it then empowers those who are saved to do the will of God. And then God rewards his own doing. Calvin said God crowns his own achievements. <laughs> Isn't that good? You see, in the previous way, we just read in the last week, what was it? Those who revile you, say all signs of evil against you. Rejoice in that day, for great is your reward. Now, he's just preached another whole section. What does Jesus say at the end? Great is your reward. God's going to do super abundantly above what you could ever imagine. He's going to reward you for living in this way. The hard steps it will take, oh, his reward's going to be so much bigger than the hardship it's going to take you to do it. Jesus doesn't ever shy away from laying before us the bountiful nature of our God saying this. He's going to super abundantly bless you in such a way that you're going to say to yourself, didn't sacrifice a thing. Didn't sacrifice a thing. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Oh, you think about a yoke, that sounds like work. How does he so transform that? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And in doing what I say, you will find rest for your souls. Boy, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? It almost smells like kingdom of God stuff. It smells like Jesus, doesn't it? It smells like the God who rewards those who only by the power of God can do the things God calls them to do. Joyous, he will reward you. Notice, secondly, the mercy that's shown in him identifying you. When you live in such a way, you demonstrate that you are his children. What's amazing is this is the same gospel that when Jesus is announced by Gabriel, it says he will be called the son of the most high. And notice what Jesus says here. In so living, you will be called sons of the Most High. Isn't that glorious? What he's saying is this. People are going to know there's something about you that's not like the black and white world in which we live. There's something peacocky about the way that you live. It's got this otherworldly flavor about it. And when they see it and notice it, they're going to say this. There's something different. Jesus actually tells us this way. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Why? Because you're doing your Father's deeds. See, being called sons of God isn't the reward you get for them. It's what people see in you because of them. 
when you act in ways that look like Jesus' Father, you are then showing forth before the world the Father that you love and the Savior that you have. This is a beautiful text of Scripture because it challenges us hard about eternal things. Live in ways that are contrary to this world. Why? It shows forth the God who loves you, and that Father is doing things in your life for eternal purposes. If we miss the evangelistic intent here, we'll miss something significant. See, you're not called sons of the Most High God so that you can go around saying, check me out, I'm a son of the Most High God. You're being called a son of the Most High God so that the Most High God will be glorified. Praise be to God. See, may he so empower us through the gospel and the spirit that comes from the risen Christ, that we may live amongst this darkened world and show forth the kingdom of God in all its glory. And may somehow our light so shine before men that they see something that looks like Jesus and his Father and say this, that's different. That's different. It's alien. Oh, yes. And then you could say, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not far. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I glance to my left. Be merciful as your Father in heaven merciful as we come to this table what a wonderful reminder the one who has called us his child through Jesus Christ alone has shown us mercy that we don't deserve the broken body and the shed blood of Christ is not a payment for how well we were doing it's a memorial of what Christ had to do to save our miserable souls. When we get a hold of that, we say, thank you, Jesus. Praise be to God for this wonderful gospel that comes to sinners. May God bless his word to our hearts.